Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 18. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Absalom, in his lifetime, set up a pillar for himself which is in the king's valley because he didn't have a son to keep his name. He called the pillar Absalom's monument. Now, when we go to Israel, we, um, we, I don't think we've actually ever stopped there, but we actually circle around there. Absalom's monument is still today in the Kidron Valley. And if you've been in Israel with us, you know we kind of circle around the Kidron Valley. and We're up on the Temple Mount and up on the Mount of Olives. And, um, but Absalom's monument is in the middle of the Kidron Valley. You can see it. And uh, when we go there, I might make a point to point it out to you. Uh, Absalom says, I have no son to keep my remembrance, my name in remembrance. Now, chapter 14, if you're taking notes, saints, chapter 14, verse 27 tells us that Absalom had three sons and one daughter. And it's possible that Absalom's children were killed in the battle. The Bible tells us before Absalom was killed, he set up a monument for himself. Now listen, the world is full of monuments. Monuments of human pride. The Tower of Babel. Monuments of human wickedness. Sodom and Gomorrah. Monuments of human obstinacy and stubbornness, like the Temple of the Jews. Monuments of the great, the gifted, and the good. First Samuel fifteen twelve. Saul set up a monument. Monuments are erected to remember someone or something. People are erecting monuments every day. Monuments to your success in business. Monuments to building an empire. Monuments to how gifted you are, maybe in some sport. Monuments to your 401k plan. All kinds of monuments, but what about the greatest monument? Huh? The greatest monument that you can set up is to erect a testimony for your family, a testimony for your children. Absalom carved out something to remember him when, in fact, listen, we remember that he was a murderer, a traitor, and not a good son. We remember. His vanity, that he took pride in his hair. We remember that he hung in a tree by the thing that he prided himself in. We all remember he was killed by Joab and has no heritage for his children. So question, what do you want people to remember about you? What do you want people to remember about you? How about how generous you are? How about how full of love for God and love for his people and gracious you are toward others. How about how much you cared for other people and put their needs before yours? You see, the real monument 
is a godly life. Somebody, two people could say amen right there. A real monument is a godly life for your kids and your grandkids. And when you go home to be with Jesus, your kid, because everybody's going home to be with Jesus, right? Uh, Or going home or leaving here. Let's say that. Let's say that and get that right. Your kids, what do you want them to say about you when you're gone? Oh, my dad never spent time with me. Well, my mom was never there. Well, we had all kinds of problems in our home. Or, man, we had a lot of money. And I had iPads and iPhone 7 when it came out. And I knew MacBook Air. I had everything, my own room, swimming pool, movie stars. What do you want me to say? Or how about, you know, my dad loved the Lord. My dad loved Jesus. Y'all mighty quiet tonight, but that's all right. I'm going to preach anyway, so y'all sit right there. My dad loved the Lord. My dad loved Jesus. My, my mom loved Jesus. My, my, my mom loved other people. We took people in our home. We cared for people. This is a legacy you want to leave your children. You don't want to leave your children a legacy of you have money or you have success, or you have wealth. Listen, if you leave your kids something that a lawyer has to settle, you have left them nothing. Let me say that to this side of the room. If you leave your kids with something that a lawyer has to settle, you've left them nothing. You've left them nothing. You might as well leave them nothing. Absalom built himself a monument. He names it after himself. Verse 19, we just read it. Ahinamaz wanted to take David. Go ahead and look at verse 19. Peruse with me. Ahinamaz wanted to take David, the news of Israel's victory, and Absalom's death to David, and he really wanted to take it. Look at verse 9. I'm going somewhere. Look at it. Ahinamaz said, let me run now. Verse 22, verse 19. Ahinamaz said, let me run now. Verse 22, let me run also. Verse 23, let me run. He really wanted to run. So, amen. So Ahinamaz begged Joab. Joab gave in and said, run, go ahead, get out of here. Verse 23, Ahinamaz took the route through the valley of Mahanaim and outran the Cushite. It was about three miles to run to where David was in Mahanaim. Did you get this? Ahinamaz is running, but he has no message. The Cushite is running with a message. Ahinamaz was the faster runner, but he's running with nothing to say, no message. Look at verse I want to read verse 24 again. Look at verse 24. Now, David was sitting between the two gates. Or did I read it already? Look at it. Now, David was sitting between the two gates. And the watchman went up to the roof over the gate, to the wall, lifted his eyes and looked. And there was a man running alone. And then the watchman cried out and told the king. And the king said, if he is alone, there is news in his mouth. And he came rapidly and drew near. And then the watchman saw another man running. And the watchman called to the gatekeeper and said, there is another man running alone. And the king said, he also brings news. And so the watchman said, I think the running of the first is like the running of Ahinamaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, he's a good man and comes with good news. And Ahinamaz called out and said to, to the king, all is well. And then he bowed with his face to the earth before the king and said, blessed be the Lord God who has delivered up the men who raised their hand against my Lord, the king. And the king said, 
is a young man Absalom safe? Is my son okay? And Ahinamaz answered, when Joab sent the king's servant and me, your servant, I saw a great tumult, but I didn't know what it was all about. And the king said, turn aside and stand there. And so he turned aside and he stood still. And just then the Cushite came and the Cushite said, there is good news, my lord, the king, for the Lord has avenged you this day of all those who rose up against you. And the king said to the Cushite, is the young man Absalom, my son, is he safe? And so the Cushite answered, may the enemies of my lord, the king and all who rise up against you to do harm be like that man. Saying, stop right there. Watchmen saw Ahinamaz running and told the king there was a man running, and that's good news. Well, the watchman in verse 26 saw another man running, and he said, the first guy's running looks like Ahinamaz. Now, if you look at, if you read verse, uh, uh, the King James Version, uh, verse uh, 27, so the watchman said, I think the running of the first is like the running of Ahinamaz. If you're reading King James, it says, me thinketh the running. I just love that. Me thinketh. Who talks like that anymore? Me thinketh. Me thinketh the running of the first is Ahinamaz. You got to wonder what kind of run Ahinamaz had. You think about it. I mean, people have like a distinctive run. They really do. Ahinamaz in verse 28 and 29 reaches the king. He bowed down. And he said, blessed be the name of the Lord your God who has delivered those against you. And David, in verse 9, immediately asked about his son Absalom. And Ahinamaz, he said, I saw a great tumult, but I didn't know what it was about. Ahinamaz is trying to tell David of the victory, killing 20,000 men. David interrupts. Did you pick that up? He interrupts and says, what happened to Absalom? Tell me about my son. Is he safe? But the king, they said, uh... You know, there's a great victory. I mean, aren't you excited? There's a great victory to happen today. He says, what about Absalom? And then in verse 30, David told Ahinamaz to stand over to the side and stand still. The Cushite came in, verse 31, and said, there's good news, king. The Lord has avenged you. Again, verse 32, David asked, how is Absalom? Is he saved? The Cushite said, all who rise up against you to do harm, be like that young man. When he said that, That told David, yes, your son is dead. And that's hard news for a parent. I mean, I don't care what your kid does. It is something very unnatural about losing a child. And I think that if you've lost a child, you know how that feels. It's very unnatural. You you know, you grow up and you think, you know, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to bury my parents and then my kids are going to bury me, and their kids are going to bury them. And you kind of look at the circle of life just like that. Everybody kind of does. But when you lose a child, that's, that's terrible. It's terrible. You got to wonder how David felt, and irregardless or regardless of what, um, you know, Absalom was like and his life was like and his sin was like. And that was David's son. And David loved him still. So losing a child is very, very difficult. They told David, Absalom is dead. Now, a couple of things we can learn here. I want you to grab your pen. A couple of things to learn here. Number one, being a fast runner doesn't mean you got a good message. Being a fast runner doesn't mean you got a good message or you're a good messenger. 
Running isn't everything. Running with a message is everything. Are you listening? Running with a message is everything. Ahinamaz was a fast runner, but he's running with no message. And many believers are just like that. They're running, but they're not equipped. They're running, but they have no message. They're ready to serve, and they're zealous, and, but they don't have a message. That's like trying to fulfill the Great Commission, but forgetting to take the gospel with you. You have no message. Many people want to look important, but they don't have a message. They want to preach from the pulpit, but they don't have a message. They get saved, and they learn a little bit about the scripture, and they think that they're ready to take over Wednesday night. They don't have a message. They're running in vain. I thought of what Paul said to the church of Galatia in chapter 2, verse 2. Paul said, and I went up by revelation, and I committed to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Second John 1, 9. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Running isn't everything. That's the second point. Running isn't everything. Running with a message is everything. Don't try to run somebody else's race. Somebody say amen. Don't, run, don't try to run somebody else's race. Run the race that God gave you. Hebrews 12, 2. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, not enjoyed the cross, endured the cross, and despised his shame. Ahinamaz had ambition and ability, but he lacked the maturity needed to minister to the king. And then lastly, truth is not always popular. If you're not going to tell the truth, don't run. If you're not going to tell the truth, don't run. But if you're going to run, then run ready to tell the truth. And if you're not going to tell the truth, don't be a runner. Don't be a runner. You can tell the truth. You're ready to tell the truth, then be a runner. Why will you run, my son, since you have no news ready? Don't go talking to people when you don't have news ready. And then you're not ready to tell the truth, then don't run. Notice in verse 33, we come in for a landing. Look at verse 33. Then the king was deeply moved. And he went up to the chamber over the gate and he did what, saints? Wept. And as he went, he said, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died in your place. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. The king is deeply moved. The idea of deeply moved in Hebrew implies violent trembling of the body. So he hears that Absalom is dead and he is violently weeping and shaking. And I don't know if you've ever been that upset where you're just shaking inside and you feel sick and you're crying and weeping and you know, violently shaking like Jesus on the mountain when he went up and he looked back over Jerusalem and he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have desired to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. He was weeping over the city of Jerusalem. That means he was violently shaking. It wasn't like he was dropping a few tears and sniffling like, 
I feel sad for you guys. No one like that. He was like shoulder shaking, weeping. Well, David is violently trembling in his body. David felt completely undone when he heard the news of Absalom's death and he went up to the chamber and he wept and he said, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, I wish I had died in your place. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son, David's grief. He says, do you notice five times my son, five times. He says Absalom's name three times. Take note, David's reaction to to, to Absalom's death. David would rather die. It is interesting to note David's reaction to his son's death with Bathsheba. Mm -hmm. Read your Bible. Bathsheba, he said that I can't come to you. Um, Yes, he said, "I, I will come to you, but you can't come to me. Thank you, Lord. But with Absalom, he's weeping and he's uh, uncontrollable, unconsolable. Why? I think because David is so distraught because he is partly at fault for Absalom's death. Y'all been with me? He's partly at fault. Again, God said the sword shall never keep that in your mind. The sword shall never, for the rest of Samuel, keep this in your mind. The sword shall never depart from your house. Right? Right? Say it with me. The sword shall never depart from your house. You've got to remember that. So this, this, this death of Absalom, David is partly responsible for it. Because of the sin with Bathsheba, David's actions have these consequences for the rest of his life. Remember, again, Bathsheba has a baby boy. That baby dies. Ammon, David's son, rapes his half-sister Tamar. And David didn't do anything about it. Well, two years later, Absalom was angry about it. And he kills his brother for Tamar. And Absalom is banished as a murderer, and he went to stay with his grandfather, Talmay, for three years. Absalom then commits treason and steals the kingdom with Ahithophel. Ahithophel joined in because Bathsheba was his granddaughter, and David destroyed her life and the life of his grandson. The sword shall never depart from your life, from your house, from your dynasty. David is part of the problem. So he's mourning and he's grieving hard for Absalom because David saw his own sins and his own weakness. And listen, his own sin, his own weakness, and his own rebellion in Absalom. And many times what we see in our children is a mirror of who we are. And that's a fact. You can't get away from that. You know, they're saying the apple don't fall far from the tree. That's true. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Sometimes we look at our kids and we go, oh, you, you. Maybe y'all don't, but I've done it many times. You, get out of here. You, oh, you're so, you, they're probably just like you. That's why you can't get along with them, because they just like you. Amen. Y'all know I'm preaching. Amen. They just like you. Apple don't fall far from the tree. And your children many times are a mirror of who you are. 
Everything in the story leads up to and culminates in this lamentation of anguish and torment over David's dead son. So sad. And one last thing. Note, David wanted to die in place of his rebellious son. But what David could not do, listen to me close. I'm coming in for a landing. What David could not do by dying in the place of, his, of a rebellious sinner, the greater than David, Jesus Christ, died in the place of rebellious sinners. Are you glad about it? Are you glad about it? I think of, I want to read you something. I'm dying to read you something. That's why I'm kind of moving for a mad dash to be done because I want to read you something. But uh, I think of First uh, John. 2 2. 1 John 2 2. Ralph. 1 John 2 2. And he himself is the propitiation of our sins. Did you teach that right? I need to get the CD and check on you. I don't know about you. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not ours only, but also for the whole world. The word propitiation means appeased. Appeased. It means Jesus' death on the cross satisfied or appeased God's righteous indignation because of man's sin. Simply, Jesus died in the place of rebellious sinners. So what David could not do by dying in the place of his son, Absalom, 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 I wish I would have died instead of you. The greater than David, Jesus Christ, did exactly that. Died in the place of rebellious sinners. I want to close here and read this. I... I, have actually been reading this story from time to time for 18 years. And I think it beautifully illustrates one dying for another. And if you will, if it doesn't make you uncomfortable, close your eyes. I want to read you something. And I want you to try to imagine, close your eyes, just sit, kind of close your Bible, just sit there, close your eyes. And try to imagine as I read the drawbridge. John Griffith was married with a son named Greg. John worked at the control station of a drawbridge that spanned over a small section of the bay on the East Coast. And one of his responsibilities was to raise the bridge to allow tall ships to come into the bay and then lower the bridge. And so scheduled trains could cross. Well, one morning his son talked him into taking him to work where he could see how the bridge really worked. Well, that morning, he allowed his son to pull the lever that raised the bridge to allow ships to pass. John took his son down a long metal staircase that led to a wide walkway, which was suspended over the large motors and massive gears, which would turn and grind when the bridge was raised or lowered. Well, as he was explaining which motor did what and which gear would move which part of the bridge, an announcement blared over the PA system, stating that the 1035 train was 30 minutes early and would be reaching the bridge in 10 minutes. John realized that he didn't lower the bridge, and so he had to reach the control station quickly. And so he had Greg, his son, sit and wait for him so he could hurry up and get the bridge lowered. He got to the control tower and began to lower the bridge. And while lo lowering the bridge, the father looked down and saw his son, who had leaned over and, and fell into the massive gears, and he couldn't get free. Well, at that very moment, 1035 let out a whistle, loud whistle. There was no time to stop the train. The father began to shake and sweat and realize what he had to do. And so he grabbed the lever and looked down at his son and said, forgive me. And he cried out with a broken heart and allowed the bridge to lower on his son and killed him. But saved hundreds of people 
on the train. Well, as the father sat crying because his son died for many lives, he could see the train and people sitting and talking and laughing and totally unaware of the sacrifice that was just made. The father clenched his fist and said, what's the matter with you people? Don't you care? Don't you know I've sacrificed my son for you? What's wrong with you people? No one answered. No one heard. No one even looked. Not one of them seemed to care. And then as suddenly as it had happened, it was over. The train disappeared across the bridge and out over the horizon. Open your eyes. And so, in the cry of David, we actually hear the cry of God for lost people. God's desire is to restore. Listen to me. God's desire is to restore and to forgive men of their sins. And unlike David, the father of Absalom, the greater than David, Jesus Christ, died for our sins. And you should be happy about that because we're saved. And someday, salvation, the greatest gift, someday we'll all be with Jesus. And that's the goal. The goal is to be with Jesus. Am I right about it, saints? Uh, The goal is to be with Jesus. He died for our sins, every single one of us. None righteous, not even one. By the grace of God, we're saved. So, chapter 19. I told you I finished, didn't I? Chapter 19. Amen. I'm surprised I did, actually. Chapter 19, the victory turns into mourning. David continues to mourn for his dead son, Absalom. Nobody's happy. Nobody's rejoicing. Next Wednesday night, 2 Samuel chapter 19. We'll get to it. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccary.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.